your student radio station on 1251 AM. This is your role. Hello, good afternoon. This is Insight, Raw 1251's premier news show, where we give Warwick students a chance to give, share their opinions on the biggest news stories of the week, both on and off campus. Um, before we get started, I want to say just one thing. Um, it's, an autumn, it's autumn elections this week. I want to say um, you should exercise your right to go and vote in SU elections um, for the various committees, faculty reps, and officers that are currently being elected. Um, just, you know, it's always good to participate in politics, or say good, it's always, you should, you should have a say on who's representing you, and so you should go vote. All right, so our top stories today. Divided Kingdom. Um, a landmark poll last week has shown that Scott, the support for Scottish independence has now reached 58% of the Scottish population. Um, compared to the previous support for no in the last referendum, which at 54%. Um, does this, is the end of the union beckoning? And who's responsible for it? Nicholas Sturgeon, Boris Johnson, or coronavirus? Um, Brexit is back in the headlines again, as negotiations between the EU and Boris government have broken down. It seems we're now heading for a car crash, no deal Brexit. Um, so who's, who's responsible for that? Is the failure on the EU or Boris Johnson? And what does New Deal, what does No Deal mean for Britain and for you? Um, we'll also be talking about the tier system. Um, introduced almost, almost to the hour last week, um, tier system was all facing immediate criticism from Northern mayors who fear they're not being given enough financial support, and also Labour, who's now calling for a national circuit breaker lockdown, similar to what's been introduced in Northern Ireland and Wales. Um, is the system working? And what's happened in cases on work campus as well? That's something which we're going to talk about as well. Uh, but for our top, top story, um, eating at Warwick and off-campus accommodation. Um, if you may have seen earlier that we're putting a post on news shared, but Warwick has very quietly announced that they are currently of, well, discontinuing eating work scheme and also their management of off-campus accommodations. Um, so we're going to talk more about what that means for you and what, if anything, is going to be done to replace those schemes. Um, before we get into any of that, I need to introduce my wonderful, wonderful panel, starting with Noah. Hello, Hello. it's brilliant to be back on Insight once again. And as I was preparing to come on, I recognise this is my fifth week in a row of appearing on Insight. So it's yeah, remarkable to be back once again. Five weeks in a row. I think probably that's a better streak than I had when I was a guest. So really? oh, I'm definitely taking taking that as an achievement. And I recognise over these Mondays, it's almost as though the government know that Monday is Insight Day because it's, it seems like every Monday there's always some news that breaks. As you say, last week it was the tier system and this week it was Michael Gove saying that this no deal Brexit looks to be like a, an inevitability almost, which certainly in my perspective is uh, a real concern. Ah, I mean, we'll talk a bit more about no deal Brexit in a second. But I, th I think, so obviously, um, no, you're, you've been you've writing some pieces. But what have you, what have you been like, you're a journalist, what have you been writing for recently? Let's talk about some writing you've done recently. Like, what's going on? Um, writing bits for what well, I mean, I've been doing oh, bits just, more, like, yeah. You're yeah. I know you'll see all the you are keen on UK politics, yeah. I've been, been doing situation? yeah. I mean, the whole Brexit situation, I just think it is really uh, you know, concerning. I mean, I've not written personally about Brexit for quite a while, which I must say is uh, an actual relief because even I, as someone you know, fascinated by the EU, was getting slightly you know, bored and finding it a bit tedious. Um, but I think it mainly part of it is just negotiation. You know, both sides will want to really up the sort of tension that's there to try and reach this agreement. But I think part of it is 
also a recognition that the aims of the two sides are fundamentally uh, incompatible with what they want. And so I think in any future writing I do, it'll just be probably trying to look at the 1st of January 2021, which looks set to be the first day of many that could be um, absolute chaos, you know, queues at Dover of lorries could just be one part of it. It could also be what medicines aren't available, what food is or isn't available, what, you know, security um, enforcement, security communication is or isn't available. It is sort of the absolute recipe for chaos. Yeah. Well, speaking of your political writers, we have the editor perspective here with us. Johnny Jenkins, welcome to the stream. Hi, Enoch. How are you? I'm good, Johnny. What have you been up to? Um, I've just been plodding along... Um, starting to work on a dissertation a little bit, doing lectures, um, lots of work. Um, I do a lot of work in Essex, which has gone into lockdown now. So that's kept me very busy. And um, yeah, just having my say. <laughs> yeah, because well, I know perspective how the writers meet in last week. And from what I see, that was a smashing success. Um, so if you're a, a Rorick listener out there, how can you get involved in Perspectives? So Perspectives is, is the home of student political commentary. It's the Politics Society's magazine. And as you mentioned, we have our writers meetings regularly. We do print editions. We do online articles most days of the week. You can get involved by searching for Perspectives Writers. It's a group on Facebook and everything really that you need to know is going to be there. And uh, we'd love for you to write for us soon. Yeah. Um... Yeah, well, another perspective. We've saw a sort of a whole row of perspective writers here today because we also have Cam of all. Cam, welcome to the stream. Um, good evening. It's great to great to be back on Insight. Oh, well, I mean, Cam, so you're you're, more, you're normally on your own show, aren't you? Because you haven't been on Insight this term. You've been working on the Alternative View. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, certainly. So um, the Alternative View is my little baby, I guess. Here on World Fifty One AM, um, it's currently live streaming. Um, on Wednesdays, one till two, I like to bring on guests from all sorts of backgrounds on campus. We just talk, tend to talk about the things that aren't necessarily in the headlines in the news. And some of the less political things are trying to find the politics where you find it potentially less. And of course, with a real focus on some of the stories going around on campus as well. We live stream Wednesdays, one till two, and we are republished. We have an audio version that is republished on um the Raw Mixcloud, Spotify, and indeed our own shows, accounts for Mixcloud and Spotify on Saturday evenings as well. But yeah, absolutely love doing the show, but also great to come on other Raw shows and great to be back here on Insight today. And it's great to have you back. But you, you mentioned on-campus stories. There's a bigger on-campus story right now than what's happening with eating at work and off-campus accommodation. Um, so if you've, if you've managed to miss this story, essentially what's happened is um, Warwick has announced that they are discontinuing the eating at work scheme from March March 31st next year, and also they're discontinuing their management of off-campus accommodation from an uncertain point next year. Um, we have no plans to introduce a new scheme to replace either of those systems. Um, so I, mean, I guess just first reaction from the panel, I'll start with you, Johnny. What do you think about this move? It is quite shocking, and it's shocking in the way it was introduced. It was all done very quietly. Luckily, Raw News spotted it and got on it straight away. The two separate things. So the Eating at Warwick, they say the system was getting old. It needs a bit of a revamp. Um, this, of course, is a system that gives you 10% offer at university outlets and, and student union outlets. So it saves people an awful lot of money over the years. And before you go to these outlets, it's very normal to top up your Eating at Warwick cards so that when you go there, you can get a discounted drink, meal, whatever. 
it's very disappointing it's going to be scrapped because that saves a lot of people a lot of money over the course of the year. Now, if you buy a coffee, you may only save 30p or something. If you buy a meal, you may save a pound. But if you go to these outlets once or twice a week, you, this is going to start adding up. You are going to start saving quite a lot of money. So very disappointing. Why have they scrapped the eating up Warwick? Well, I, I think maybe you know it needs a revamp and they don't really want to spend the money. In terms of off-campus accommodation, I think this is really, really out of order because I was in Warwick accommodation last year and I knew that I could trust them. And if I had a problem, I could go to them and I could trust them to fix it and and to look after me rather than look after the interests of the landlord. So I think it's very disappointing they're scrapping this. And again, it must be money. It's a very big team that manage Warwick accommodation. These people, I assume, are going to lose their jobs. If not, they're going to be moved elsewhere. It's very disappointing. And Warwick accommodation is a... As, as, as almost you know a letting agency if you want to call it that that puts the interests of students first it's so straightforward and it's a very effective scheme so the news today that we found out they're scrapping it is very disappointing and really puts students um at the peril if you like of, of private lenders and, and we know they the private um landlords and we know they're not always the best yeah um, Karen, would you agree with Johnny saying that the worker puts students at peril by banning these schemes? Well, I, I think if you look at the two things which I think students really appreciate, I think both eating at work and work accommodation are two things that students really appreciate having. I I can talk from personal experience last year and about eating at work. So obviously the copper rooms at Pop, hopefully Pop will return one day very soon. But again, in the copper rooms where you're only allowed to use cash or the eating at work cards, not only do the eating at Warwick cards give you a discount, which, you know, if you bought, say, a double shot and a mixer would be 50p, which is priceless, really. But it saves you having to carry cash on you and potentially losing even more money if you lost that cash in the cop rooms. It's, and that's just one example. But the eating at Warwick card is not only just a student discount, which for many students whose budgets are pressed as it is anyway, having just that little bit of discount is something, as Johnny said, it builds up over the year, and particularly for first years as well, where you want to spend most of your time on campus. If you don't know the area that well, you don't go into Coventry, don't go into Leamington that often, but you want to go somewhere where you can get some cheap food. And the Eating at Warwick scheme allows you to do that. The food at Warwick isn't that expensive anyway, but having that Eating at Warwick card just allows you to enjoy what is, I have to say, some good quality food and drink on our campus outlets, but have it in a much better price for students. And Again, it's just little things like that that really contribute to the whole student experience. On work accommodation, now, I, I live in private accommodation in Leamington this year, and I'm, I'm really lucky. My landlady's fantastic. She's been on top of everything. But that's not the case I know of all landlords in Leamington. And I've heard so many stories from students over the years of appliances being broken down and not being fixed, of mold just being allowed to gather in houses. And again, one of the advantages of work accommodation where you don't have a deposit, for example, where a landlord can have you at the end of your year, where you have the university managing it on behalf of landlords so they can be more reactive to students. It's their service is to have students. It's something that has many people have seen to be student friendly. And again, you don't get that guarantee with private accommodation. I'm lucky. I know a lot of students aren't. So. In many ways, I, I understand what the if the university were to say with coronavirus, we have to make some cuts somewhere. If we don't want cuts in the teaching experience, which is the most fundamental part of what the university serves, then it may have to be in things like this. But equally, that wider 
student social experience is vital to your time at university. And I think I think they've got it wrong on this one, definitely. Yeah, um, we've had a comment in from, from Jacob, but Jacob, we'll get to your question in a second. Um, first, I want to go to you, Noah. Do you agree with what Cameron and Cameron Johnny are saying? Uh, well, I think I'm probably more sympathetic to the university than the rest of the panel. I think the main thing to blame here is coronavirus. Coronavirus has economically decimated the finances of universities, both in terms of what they're expected to do in their term three of teaching, the accommodation income they're expected to get in their third term, and students that would have expected to come this autumn but instead decided to stay in their countries or just defer a year or not turn up. So it's coronavirus that has meant that these universities are in such dire financial um, straits. And so as Cam said, says cuts have to be made somewhere and the most important part of any university is the teaching and is the research and boy oh boy do we need more medical research not least in finding a vaccine for COVID-19 and any other future pandemics that will arise so I think if cuts have to be made they probably have been made in the correct place and um, I didn't actually use uh, eating up boric that often but I think the main thing about discounts is that they do eventually have to come to an end if it's 10 percent that could be a lot but actually you know most discounts are far higher than that so I don't think the um, difference will be that noticeable and surely one of the key things about being a student is learning how to budget with the price you've got there are plenty of places around you know uh, on campus um, the Roots grocery store which you know people often say is overpriced there's you know Tesco's a Cannon Park shopping centre nearby so there is plenty of choice and so it's clear that as they say the technology had been the same for over a decade and they just had to find a time to bring it to an end. I think if, if one is the more controversial it is the off-campus accommodation um, being scrapped. I'm not in Warwick accommodation. Uh, full disclosure I'm um, uh, Cam's housemate and I can attest to the fact that our um, landlady is absolutely fantastic but it's clear that not um, every uh, landlord landlady is um, but I don't think we should bash all landlords are saying you know, many of them will just be will be brilliant. Renters can also be terrible. And while Warwick accommodation could offer that protection, if there was going to be landlord landlord exploitation, they would only be able to do that within the within the law. And if they are breaking the laws, that sort of thing that would have to be changed by government or university alone couldn't change that. So while both of these schemes are disappointing for the people that use them or plan to use them in the future, I think the university have made the right decision over where cuts are going to inevitably have to fall. Oh, I'm, okay, well, let's start leaking at Warwick, and you know, as it as it were, um, since that's I think a very simpler part of this whole conversation. Um, surely, especially you know, as Cam and Johnny have touched on, Noah, in this time where you know people, students are really pushed to the brink financially because of economic economy is really suffering, and social experience is already suffering. Universities should be making it harder to socialise. Well, I mean, individuals are already being unable to socialise, not because of the university, but because of having to self-isolate if they've been in contact or be with someone else. So I think socialising would always be difficult, regardless of whether an extra 10% discount was or wasn't applied. Now, lots of these places, apart from, I say, the Roots Grocery Store, weren't really, you know, overly, um, that overly expensive anyway. You know, individuals will have their student loan, which is, of course, means tested based on the, um, you know, income of their parents. But as I said earlier, a lot of being a student is about budgeting and that would be the case in or out of a pandemic and so people will just have to decide to prioritize where they do or don't spend their money and try and find new ways on or off campus to you know meet people and engage with one another i think the university can only go so far it's clear that if they want to prioritize teaching delivering teaching ensuring there's funding of tutors and ensuring there's also funding for new research projects which are so important they have to recognize that fundamentally they're a university first not a place of hospitality and leisure 
Oh, actually, I'm going to ask a question now to Johnny and Cam. Surely, I sort of flipped the question also Noah. Um, since we are living in coronavirus times, we have to sort of accept that we have to cut down socialization to an extent. Surely this is a good move for the university to encourage people to say, all right, maybe don't go to bars, maybe don't drink as often. It's not quite safe. Uh, John, I'll come to you first. But when does it come in? When does it come into force? Um, next, ne- next March. Next March. Well, there we are. That's when supposedly coronavirus is going to finish. So they're going to keep it, you know, that's when we hope to find a vaccine. So they're going to keep it now whilst we're struggling. So that goes against the point. Uh, I think on a far more important point, work accommodation is, is the one that I know we're going to get onto in a moment, but that's the one that's going to hit students the hardest. And on a far more trivial point, I don't believe that Noah and Cam are in the same house. Um, <laughs> so I want proof. That's what's been on my mind. I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure there's a way we can prove it unless I literally move my laptop into Noah's room, but... You leave your laptop. My, my, my camera would break at the same point. It is very temporary. Yeah, I, I give you full permission to run into Noah's room oh, right yeah. now. Just you do this? I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> I just don't believe it, Enoch. Just, to be fair, it's all the same kind of walls, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's big so old vital. I'm going to say Where's Noah, though? No, no, no. I want to see, I want to see both. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. What, did, what did you do with Noah? Oh, right. This is the benefits you don't get. For, in the studio, we would never have been able to do this. You know, yeah. you get to see an inside of, of our inner sanctum now. It's, <laughs> I say we say radio, radio experience. <laughs> All right, well, then let's talk about work accommodation then. Um, surely, um, even if universities financially struggling, they should still prioritize keeping students safe off campus. No, no this, is, this is the one for you. Is it? Sorry, what was the question? No, I'm asking. Even yes. if the university's budget is either is a squeeze, we have seen several cards made, surely that keeping students safe off campus and safe livable homes is, is crucial. I mean, of course, and they've still said that while they won't be offering the off-campus accommodation, they have got a phone line uh, in place. There will be places, there will be things available um, for students to complain about, you know, dodgy landlords, um, individuals that aren't providing adequate services. So while their main off-campus scheme is being scrapped, I think they said in the press release or whatever, wherever the article was posted, that their whole, their full involvement um, won't completely go away. And obviously it is concerning if there are cases um, where you do have exploitative landlords. But it's important to remember that, you know, it was never the case before that every student lived with work accommodation when they moved off campus in their second and third year. That was only for some cases in Coventry uh, and Leamington. Many people always had to go with a private landlord, a private estate agent, and, you know, see whether it went well or didn't go well. So I think it's an exagger- it would be an exaggeration to say that, um, you know, work accommodation previously uh, were helping every student. It was only ever some students. Yeah. Um, uh, Johnny, Cam, will come to you. What do you think about what uh, Noah's point? Well, I, I think on the whole point of work accommodation, and I think it's important we touch upon the fact that, again, it's, it's, it's not something that every student gets. And obviously, there's more homes in Coventry that were under work accommodation than there were Leamington. But I think, it's in, I think one of the advantages of work accommodation is it takes out a lot of the hassle for students who with private accommodation particularly when it comes to things like deposits the length you can sign a contract 
And I think the important thing with work accommodation is very much where it's in the university, it's just a lot easier for students. And that's not to say, obviously, people who use private accommodation, that that's still fine, people use it. But I think for many students, particularly in their first year, and I think this year in particular, even potentially next year, because we don't know how long these restrictions are going to last, hopefully not too long. But for many students who are moving off campus at the end of this year, and they're going to be needing to have people to move in with. They're going to need to obviously find people and, ha and have that sort of thing. It's just more difficult when they've had their social interactions limited this year by COVID. And then they're going to be trying to find houses and it's all going to be moving towards private landlords, which, again, there's a lot more time pressures. It's not as easy. And the market is quite volatile in that sense. One of the things, though, that concerns me and this was um, raised potentially earlier um, on one of the Facebook groups, one of the posts that was seen, with that um, workers still can advertise property to their students, they'll still charge the landlords a, a fee. But there's a particular line in there which suggests that the whole thing about making homes fit for habitation, that's something that could be going. Um, that would be closing in the closing the Headley scheme potentially in that. That's something that could potentially Lisa, and again, that was posted on the Facebook group earlier. Obviously, that will need to be verified. But I think if the universities say that they have this service in, off campus where they can assess the state of the properties and they can make sure that students are living somewhere safe, then it, it, just redu it just is something that is less easy for students. It makes the process of moving off campus harder. But there is a real fear. I think it does leave people at the behest of almost having a good landlord or not. And I think that's something that's definitely concerning, particularly for first years coming off campus as well, because I can certainly remember the housing process for me being quite stressful last year. You know, I was very ill when people were first going around buying houses. Then in term two, there was the stress, will you get a good house, will you not? And so work accommodation provided you at least some sort of ease that made the process easier. But again, I don't think it's necessarily bad that people are moving into private accommodation. Private accommodation is still of a very good quality. I can attest to that. But I think we need to make sure that the process is being done in a fairly easy way, I think, for students. Yeah. Um, I want to raise a comment with you that I saw on the post we read about earlier. Um, finally, working combination being shut down. They truly deserve to be shut down after they shafted all of campus students in 2020. Um, do we think after work, I mean, it's obviously... It's I was one of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Johnny, do you want to talk about your experience of um, working combination um, over coronavirus? Yeah, so I, I was in work accommodation last year and um, I had a, you know, it was a fantastic house. Everything was as you wanted. Um, it was a bit difficult to arrange a viewing, actually, originally, because you had to arrange it with the students that, that, that lived there originally. But other than that, it, it was all a pretty smooth process. Then we had to go home, as everybody did, for the Easter break and then never come back, really. Um, and there was no question there of... Um, any possible refund it was never going to happen we were never ever offered any refund any money back but i don't think you would if it was a private accommodation i don't think anyone's going to offer you a refund because they're not going to have to find someone else to go and live in that in that house in that room in that time because no one was moving house at times so i didn't I, I wasn't too offended by that i think what cam says about um the stress of finding a house there will be believe it or not what is it week three there will be students now 
some first year students who will be starting to think and starting to have murmurings about housing and think we must get it done by Christmas is often the deadline that's set. And whilst that isn't the case, you don't have to get it sorted that early. There is a lot of pressure and maybe it gets to about week six and lots of people start talking about housing. Where are you going to live? Where am I going to live? And as Cam says, it's such a stressful time. And I would say for a first year student, other than being away from home, which of course is very difficult, finding your own housemates to live with in the first place, then finding somewhere for you to live together is an incredibly stressful time. If not, I think one of the most stressful times uh, you can experience in your first year. And Warwick Accommodation put you at ease. They said, look, it's going to be okay. And they put on events and they go and tell you this. And um, they had lots of houses available and it was just so easy. There was such a, a clear process. And I just think of the students next year or the year after or whatever that aren't going to get that same experience. And I think that, that's so disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you sort of touched on something there. You first don't want to discuss. Um, first is this year, um, the welcome week, locked inside their rooms. Now they're facing losing eating at Warwick and also losing Warwick accommodation. Um, on fresh is bearing too much of the brunt of the doubt of, you know, the coronavirus cuts. Um, can I come to you? Well, I... I, th I think we have to be honest and we have to say that there were going to be cuts with coronavirus. There were always going to be cuts. And so I think we have to accept that some things that we potentially liked or we valued as students were going to potentially go. But I, I, I'm not sure if these are the right things. Eating at eating work is something that obviously does cause revenue to be lost from students from Students' Union and from the university, because obviously the cards give discounts potentially. And of course, there is the option that if you bring in a private high street retailer, for example, like a Weatherspoons on campus, then there could be a contract there that the university could potentially make more money from. And the condition maybe well, we, you can't have eating at work. But I don't know. I, don't, I feel there's nothing in to replace it with value. I still think even in a time like this students need to be prioritized and something like work accommodation again for something that's so central for students moving off campus something that makes people feel at ease something that as johnny said really takes a lot of the stress out of house moving i think i think there were other things that could have potentially been looked at on campus for example we obviously have a lot of development taking place on campus could it have been that some of this development be paused, be reviewed. Obviously, for example, the Arts Centre, the new humanities building, we can't stop that. That's already building the crane throughout before COVID. But even so, were there, I think, one of the things that's more alarming about this and one of the things that maybe is why I can't necessarily say what else should have been replaced in these cuts is because the university haven't really come out and justified why these things have been cut. There's no basis, there's no sort of financial report to say these. this is the financial hole that we had by getting rid of X and X and X. Um, we considered these options, but this was ultimately the thing that covered the hole. And so I think until the university comes out with more of a sort of financial justification in terms of this is why we've got rid of these things that are that very a lot of Warwick students value, I think it's, it's very difficult to say if, if something else could have gone. But I do certainly think without that, these are two things I think students really value and I think will really miss. Yeah, um, we're going to get on to excellent um, Jacob's question in a second. But first, Luke Shortland has given us a comment. Um, 
I applied for the, geez, that's a big, I applied for the emergency accommodation in first year, and it was such a relief knowing that if I failed to find a place, work accommodation would have sorted me out with a decent place and affordable price. Also worth noting, work is still going to offer an Edmonton service to landlords, which means essentially work is still likely to go into make money for advertising without having to deal with making sure housing is habitable. Cheryl's how little they care about. I presume that would have said students. It's literally I suppose I will I will sort of put this question to all of you as well. Um, does this show how little work cares about students? Uh, Noah then Johnny. Well, as I said earlier, obviously it is terrible. Coronavirus has been terrible. It's been a probably terrible time to be a fresher, you know, assuming you haven't been haven't had to go into self-isolation, not having a proper freshers week, not properly being able to meet your lectures or seminar tutors, or if you have met your seminar tutors doing so at a distance. So clearly, yeah, it is a terrible year to go to university, and even worse for those that deferred to start this year and had maybe hoped to go traveling in their gap year afterwards, only to have that dramatically um cancelled. And I obviously you know, I get the points people say about Borough accommodation being a form of reassurance. But as I say, it was never to, to say that they offered, you know, accommodation for all students. It was never fully the case for second year. It was only some that they had available. You know, I think most people went to a private landlord uh, or a private estate agent. And as I say, you know, I think it is wrong to try and lump all landlords simply being um, terrible. If there are things that, you know, they should be doing, like things like making homes fit for human habitation. Well, it was the government who a few years ago voted against an argument that homes should be fit for human habitation. So a lot of this is not about the university, but what the government do or don't. They're the ones that ultimately have control over housing housing policy, housing regulation, or what landlords and renters can or can't do. So clearly, the, I can see why it was a form of reassurance. But at the same time, I think if they're going to have to cut some things, it would probably have to be these over their teaching or research. Otherwise, they'd no longer really be a, a university at all. Well, no, the government doesn't set Warwick's own housing policy. Surely Warwick can say that actually houses that it lends to have to be habitable. Maybe. I mean, I think it is odd that they've said that um, they're no longer going to sort of, as, as Cam said, it doesn't need to be verified about houses being fit for human habitation. And clearly, if they are going to still advertise um, houses, Luke was saying they should be making sure that for the landlords that they're advertising for, there are these regulations in place. So clearly, I think it does need more planning. And I think the sort of they've not really helped themselves with their PR strategy by trying to hide it away. Instead, they should have come in out of the open and said, we're going to change this, we're getting rid of this, but instead we are introducing this. Or if they're not going to introduce anything, explain why they're getting rid of those two things, you can work in off-campus accommodation because of their funding scheme. You know, It should have been far more explained rather than hidden away and left to rural news to find. There was a brilliant scoop, you know, on your, on your part. Uh, I mean, to, to be fair, I, I want to make this very clear. I did not... Joe Spagnoli, um, for, former former royal member, now work alumni, he gave me the information. It's really the scoop credit goes to him. I have to give my service for just the credit credit. So Joe, thank you so much. Um, Johnny, I'll come to you and ask you the same question. Um, does this show that Warwick cares more about profits than students? It just shows they're out of money. They're struggling on with cash. And it's not just um, Warwick accommodation. I, I, I've seen lots of evidence. Um, anecdotally and um, you know on paper that they have they are low on money and they are making um, cuts as much as they can um, I, I think it's I think it's a long way to go to say it shows how little Warwick care about students because fundamentally we are their source of income to fund everything else 
we are their there's their that you know the the advert for them we are the ones they are supposedly here to care about so I, I do think they care about students and i think saying that university doesn't care about students may be a little bit of a stretch but there there's been quite a few questionable things happening recently and this is just the latest stretch of them you know i i can handle eating a warwick going that's okay but when it comes to this this off-campus accommodation, and as Noah says, look, they don't offer it to every student. We know that. But to those they do offer it to, and those that are able to get those um, accommodation that are owned by Warwick, it's, it's a brilliant thing. And it's just so straightforward. And having now been in private and Warwick accommodation, I had such a better experience with Warwick accommodation. Um, but to say they don't care about students, I think is, is quite a stretch. Yeah. Um, before we get to Luke's next essay like comment, we're going to ask Jacob's question first. Um, Jacob Regine asks, given the assumed loss of the university's made during COVID year, did a panel foresee these changes as the first batch of future cuts? I want to make it clear first, the university already cut certain things, the session truce budget, that cut quite drastically. Um, but yeah, panel, I'll ask you the question, starting with you, Cam, do you think these are the first batch of even more cuts? I'm, I'm going to predict probably yes. But the problem is, and again, it's the point I raised earlier, we don't know what the state of the university's finances is at the moment. We knew they were going to take a hit with coronavirus, both in the sense that universities, for example, would be making the money out of the conferences that they would have been able to rent out in the summer, make a lot of money from that. And they've got nowhere near the amount of international students coming this year and the significantly higher tuition fees that bring. So we knew they were going to lose money. But the problem is, I think... I'm going to say, yes, this is probably the first of a sort of big batch of cuts coming. But the problem is, I don't know how many more, how much more cuts are coming because we don't know the state of the university's finances. Obviously, their annual report would give a financial summary. But even in this situation, I think some more clarity from the university, especially given these are such big changes. These are eating up working off campus accommodation, work accommodation. They're too big things it's part of the student experience at work and so if there was more clarity from the university going to students to say that here's the situation here's what why we need to do it here's potentially how much this could save us not every student would read it but just so the information was there would be better but i do think there are there are likely to be more cuts coming and i think it will either be to standalone food outlets so for example like the um, waffle place in the oculus or it will be to teaching, learning and research budgets. And I think for the academic experience of the university, I think that would be greatly disturbing. But again, they've cut, I would say, two of the biggest things that they could have done that weren't related to academia. Apart from that, it is research and teaching or it's accommodation and making cuts there, which I think could have potentially even more drastic consequences. So. I think, sadly, that I think this is the, going to be the first batch of cuts, but I think that the university needs to be more transparent about the reasons they're making these cuts, and they need to put students more in the clear that they can feel confident that these cuts aren't going to hit the most fundamental parts of their university experience. Yeah, okay, thank you for that, Cam. Um, let's go to Luke Shortland's next comment. Um, I have to say, the number of work... And the number of working comp properties has been falling for years now. Everyone had any interest in student issues knew that work wants to end work accommodation. Coronavirus just provided cover for the university. 
I personally raised my Facebook post a year ago. I want to know why it's been so little on this from the SEU. Well, I think there's sort of two questions that I, I want to raise. It's what well, it's provoked in me. It's firstly, why do you think Warwick tried to slip out so quietly? They didn't ask any student, any student media. In fact, the post was, I think, the first notification I could find in this story came out in 15, and yet there was no proper press release on it. Why do you think Warwick kind of pushed out so quietly? Johnny, as our veteran journalist, I'll come to you first. Well, because no one pushes out good, uh, bad news, um, that they bury bad news if they can. <laughs> it's not just Warwick that's in. It's anybody who's got any any um, press or, or, or media or PR experience knows that if, if there's a lot going on and you want to sort of get something out quietly, uh, you bury the bad news and you celebrate the good news. So I'm, I'm not shocked that, that this is the way they've done this. Um, and it's great that Raw have, have uncovered this. But when were they going to tell us? Were they going to wait until March and then remove those eating at Warwick machines? In fact, they did say they were going to encourage us to use up the money we had on there, which is good. And But when were they going to tell us this? February? Were they going to wait until March itself? Um, it's disappointing they've taken so long. Uh, you know, like I said, it's been a few days already. They haven't told us about this. But this is what journalism is here for, to uncover things that they don't want us to know. That's the whole point of it. And so... It's good that we've discovered this. Um, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising at all that they yeah. didn't tell us about this because, you know, why would they want to tell us about bad news? Yeah. And I guess that leads to the next question of why, why have we not seen a response from the SU yet? Um, I'll come to you, Noah. Well, I'm not sure why there hasn't been a response from the SU. Obviously, there has been lots of uh, animosity towards the SU over their recent endorsement for all um, online teaching. So clearly, they're not in everyone's good books at the moment. But I think it's like Johnny says, you know, you don't want to promote bad news. It's going to be probably a drip, drip, drip of cuts that are being announced. Now, I think if you're going to have these cuts, which they inevitably need to because their budget has probably been decimated as a result of the pandemic, you always need to come out and be open about where these cuts are going to be made, justify why you've chosen to get rid of the eating at work and off-campus accommodation over other things and where the cuts would have to be made if it wasn't these things. But I think the university are in a bit of a catch-22 because if they don't make these cuts, they're not going to have enough money to properly uh, be an adequate university for future students. If uh, they do make all these cuts on future open days, it won't look like an appealing place for prospective students to come to. Now, I hope a student doesn't decide to go to any university simply because of its eating outlets. I hope it's be because they've got you know a great course or great tutor but it's undeniable that a part of going to university, especially a campus university where you're not just on, um, you know, it's not just like in a city where there are restaurants everywhere on the campus. It's a really sort of place of its own. People talk about the Warwick bubble. You know, the hospitality places are a part of that. So I think whatever the university do, they're always going to receive criticism and they're always going to be um, damaged financially. They've got one saving grace, which is that the Arts Centre is planning to reopen from January. Uh, full disclosure, I am a steward at the Arts Centre, or at least I was until it had to shut, sadly, back in March but that can raise a lot of money the Warwick Arts Centre they've got a brilliant um, you know grant from the government grant or loan not quite sure which um, but they'll be able to run performances there and hopefully raise some income as uh, commentary becomes the city of uh, culture in 2021 so that's their one saving grade for some income for conferences and cultural events too yeah I think we're sort of reaching the end of this story so I want to guys final comments for everyone about uh, this story and what you know how they feel about what university doing this. I'll start with you, Johnny. I just think it's getting very dark in Noah's room. Yeah, <laughs> in <the world> <laughs> I know. 
Um, the topic we're discussing. <laughs> final thoughts is disappointing. Um, I'm far more concerned about Warwick accommodation being scrapped than I am eating at Warwick. But at the end of the day, when it comes to eating at Warwick, uh, this is stopping students saving money. And when it comes to work accommodation, this is uh, putting some students at risk of, of, of dodgy landlords. So there's not a good spin on this. As you say, they are going to have to cut money. They are, they're short on money. They're cutting uh, department spending budgets. They're cutting all sorts of things. And this was um, the latest thing to go. It's a shame. Let's hope that once they're in a better financial situation, they do something about it. Uh, Cam? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say on the point of light, um, if you watched the Raw Sport broadcast from a couple of weeks ago, you may notice that my room started in total light. By the time it got to seven o'clock, I underestimated how dark this room got, and I was actually using a desk lamp. And it was it was like those scenes, you know, in movies where you have the people in the dodgy tents and you just hold the flashlight up to your face. And it's just one of those scary horror movies. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing right now. But um, yeah obviously it's very disappointing we knew cuts were coming it's very disappointing to see that the university have made these decisions on two things that as johnny pointed out students really appreciate this they appreciate having the ability to save money on campus on particularly for first years who are particularly hit hard i think by both of these and especially the off-campus accommodations johnny said you're putting more students at risk of dodgy landlords of course i'm not describing all landlords collectively but a few and so i think if you, the university is clearly going to go ahead with this so i think they need to be more transparent about the decisions that they're making and saying that this is why we're having to make these cuts and maybe more students can support it and maybe more students not necessarily support it but at least sympathize with the university having to make the cuts and i think that's something that would really benefit that with as well as the accountability is some sort of plan future plan on both issues so what are you going to do with eating at work, what are you going to replace it with that still puts students first, whether that is a general price freeze on campus or decreasing prices or some sort of brand that can keep the prices down and bring in cheaper prices and more variety with the accommodation, maybe something like a landlord registry or something like that. So I think if the university can justify it with um, transparency on the decision, but also something of value for students, then I think they could possibly be able to get around this. And last, but of course not least, Noah. Well, as you can see, I have resorted to the desk lamp already, thanks to Johnny's remarks, which I think just shows you how professional um, my setup really is. As for this whole news, I think it is. Oh look, yeah, um, it is very depressing from the um, you know university. I think it's a sign of the impact of coronavirus while we were all locked down. Its true effect wasn't, you know, fully noticeable, as in the true economic effect. But now we're actually back at university. It's clear that the cuts we've talked about uh, academically and hypothetically are really now a reality. And so I think it has to be they have to make sure that whether it's the university or the SU, they are able to help students as much as possible. You know, looking through contracts and private landlords, checking that there's no sort of um, you know, nasty clauses or whatever, they're, they're going to get people tied into things they don't want to be and trying to be as transparent and honest as possible. I think it is, yeah, it's extremely saddening, but a sad inevitable among uh, among everything else. Yeah. Can I just say, on, on the Noah's Lights comments, Noah, right now your room sort of looks like, it looks like when I go to visit my grandma in Uganda and the <laughs> power goes out and you have to have this little, like, you can see the preparation that goes into this. Now your head on the wall. 
off campus who have been isolating recently, not just here, but at other universities at the moment. And I, th I think one of the things that they've certainly said is that the two-week isolation is something that is always very stigmatised. And obviously, it's not good. You don't want to go into isolation for two weeks. But I think what people want is they want to feel some sort of support, I think. Or if you can have your two weeks off and feel like you're being supported by the university, I think particularly if you're on campus, whether that's the university signposting you to the particular services that they're offering, for example, the home delivery service or the laundry service, if you're off campus, I think it's just the contact. Because I think the thing is with the two-week isolation, having already been in lockdown for three months, I don't think people like that lack of contact. And again, whether that's more societies holding um, online events, for example, I'm shout out, for example, to Music Theatre Warwick, who did an event last week I went to that was online, and they do a mix of an in-person event and an online event of the same type so people who are self-isolating can still go and still get some form of contact so i think people if they're going to be self-isolating off campus because ultimately we, you want everyone who has coronavirus needs to get a test and they need to be isolating it's the only way we can get through this pandemic with as many with less lives lost and we can get through it quicker as well but i think what we need is for people to be responsible but also to feel supported so there isn't the motivation to go outside your house during your two-week isolation because you're just totally bored and you feel unsupported yeah before i come to you now i just want to say johnny jenkins he has to leave the show now but johnny it's absolutely wonderful having you you've run us you're been a ray of knowledge on this show today so thank you so much for coming on thanks enoch and the johnny jenkins show is on a friday three o'clock right here see you then bye-bye bye, -bye. Bye. Yeah, so now, now I want to come to you. Um, what? <laughs> um, hello, we are now live again. Apologies, there was a technical disruption mere moments ago that um, sank our stream. Uh, so it was Johnny's fault, basically. It was it was Johnny's. It's not polite <laughs> to say, but it was Johnny's fault. Um, it's <laughs> true, harsh but true. Harsh but true. Harsh but true. We now have less than eight minutes left to summarise everything else we're going to talk about. Sure, tomorrow. it must go so, on. So you know what? Just so my title's not a lie, um, for the last one, well, no one's watching. It's fine because we're not going to shut this post again. Um. Uh, um Let's just, okay, you know, let's just race through Scottish independence and the other, the other thing, Brexit. Um, how do you guys feel about Scotland becoming independent? Good thing or bad thing? Cam, you go first. Um, bad. Scotland has been a cultural part of our country for 300 years. Economically, it would ruin both Scotland and the UK. We obviously lose access to a lot of the oil resources that Scotland have. Trade between Scotland and the UK would be greatly disrupted. And of course, another thing to realise, um, we, we've had... Over here, we've had a lot of debate over the with Brexit, the Irish border. Yeah. We'd have another debate with Scot the Scottish border as well, particularly Scotland wanted to join the EU. So Scotland gained independence and applied to rejoin the EU, which almost seems a certainty, which is going to be going through the same sort of constitutional wrangling that we've been going through for the last three years. So there's no winner from Scottish independence. I think even though the polls clearly indicate that there is a higher support for independence, I think 
when push comes to shove by the independents and more of the arguments are being made, that there really is no winner out of Scottish independence, whether that's from the UK or from Scotland. Uh, yeah, Noah, what do you think? Agree with yeah. Cam? Agree Cam? Yeah, I wasn't smiling at Cam's remarks. I was yeah, just smiling at everything that's happened the last <laughs> yeah. minute. So I, I definitely wasn't smiling at his remarks because I'm a, I'm a staunch unionist, so I really hope that Scotland um, doesn't go independent. But as for the reasons that independence appears to be on the rise compared to 2014, I think it is a mixture of Brexit, the Prime Minister and Nicola Sturgeon on Brexit, I don't think Brexiteers can now say Scotland is, doesn't deserve to have a say on its future because the arguments for the two are quite similar. You know, the Brexiteers believe the UK should be free from the EU. People who advocate Scottish independence believe Scotland should be free from the UK. If you're allowing the UK to have its say over its membership of the EU, you can no longer really say, well, Scotland can't have another say over its membership of the, of, um, the UK, not least if the SNP win a majority at the Scottish Parliament elections next year. I think the Prime Minister also has a role to play. He's not had a popular reputation at all. You know, last year the Conservatives did unbelievably well, but the one area where they really fell short was uh, in Scotland, where they lost seven seats compared to Theresa May and Ruth Davidson doing much better there uh, in 2017. So I think Boris Johnson is deeply unpopular there. So I'm sure his image, while, you know, the SNP would always portray any Conservative uh, as a, a bad figure, I think Boris Johnson or Alexander Johnson, as his actual name is, um, won't have been, won't have helped the case for unionism. And finally, I think Nicola Sturgeon too, you know, I'm, I'm a staunch unionist, but even I can't deny she, she's an effective political operator before COVID, not least uh, throughout the pandemic. The situation in Scotland has been terrible, but simply by doing a daily press conference and looking far more confident than the UK government, basically having better PR, she has been able to get away with the atrocity of failures from the Scottish government across Scotland. The whole UK has been hugely uh, affected by the pandemic negatively, but it's the SNP's almost you know, canny ability, A, to make anything about um, independence and B, just to act as sort of smoother, more competent uh, operators that's allowed the Scottish independence force to really, you know, be fueled and get the traction that I really hope it doesn't get. Right. And now just time for one last topic. Brexit again. Um, are we heading for no deal Brexit? Um, I think, to be honest, to the fact we're even talking about Brexit, I never thought I would want to talk about Brexit again until coronavirus hit. But, but here we are. Um, I think on the point of Brexit, this is Boris Johnson's, this is almost his sort of baby in terms of this is what he wants to be talking about. This is what that last general election was predominantly based on, as well as that levelling up agenda. He won the leadership because of Brexit. He personified the Vote Leave campaign. Even though Nigel Farage had been the trailblazer for leaving the EU for 20 years before the referendum, ever since Vote Leave got the designation, Boris Johnson became the figurehead. During the time of Theresa May's failed deal, he was the figurehead. He was, even though he never admitted to being it, he was always seen as the very pro-hard Brexit figurehead. So it wouldn't make sense. This is a strong talking point for Boris Johnson, but it wouldn't make sense for him to turn back and say we're going to extend the transition period now. I think with the transition period, it's clear the government aren't going to extend it. So what I think there has to be is there, has, there still has to be some form of talk. They say a deal can't be done beyond November time. Obviously, they've got to go through the ratification process. But the EU very famously worked to the last minute. We saw when we had that 31st of October deadline last year, the deal, I believe, was agreed on the 16th, 17th, and then presented to Parliament. And the only thing that stopped it going through Parliament was when the government pulled the bill on the programme motion. The government won't have such troubles this time. They have such a commanding majority in the Commons and such a particularly a strong 
majority that will stick together on Brexit. If it's not sticking together with coronavirus, for example, at the moment, it will stick entirely on Brexit. Every Conservative MP that was elected at the last election was elected on very much that pro-government approach to Brexit. So there's really no way that Boris Johnson will extend the transition period. There's no way that the Tory party won't support whatever decision Boris Johnson makes on this. And so I think there still has to be a coming together of heads. I still think as much as the government say, have said they're threatening to walk away, I think this is very much a negotiating position of something to throw a spanner into the works of the negotiations, almost like the internal market bill was, as a way to bring the EU and try and gain the upper hand. As with the first set of negotiations, by keeping the threat of no deal on the table and by saying to the EU that we're going to walk away, you have something that always convinces the EU to go back to negotiations. I think this is the government, I think, want a deal. I think this is just a, a tactic by the government to get the EU to come back, try and be more favourable. I think the dividing line, certainly at the moment, is still state aid. It's still fishing. And I think like we have with the Irish border, I think the only chance we're going to get a solution is there's a real coming together of heads at the last minute, which I think both sides, they want to deal and they will have that. They'll have that epiphany. But for now, this is the government's not going back on the transition period. And so I think we have to accept that no deal could be a possibility, but people want to deal. And the government, I think, are trying to push harder for the EU to agree to a deal more on their terms. Yeah, I, I wish we had time to dig into that properly because we can have had such a great conversation. I'm sorry, did uh, I, no, I no, no, it's sorry. not. It's not even your fault. It's, it's just the structure of today's show. It's <laughs> even yeah, you, you talked fine. Um, Noah, I'm going to come to you. You have less than thirty seconds to explain your position on Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> the, the opportunity to extend the transition period ended on the first of July. It's all part of negotiation tactic at the eleventh hour. The government might still want a deal, but it's strange they're not even admitting now it's leaving without a deal because they're calling it uh, now an Australian deal. And I, I love Australia; it's a place I'd love to visit, maybe even emigrate to. But they're probably using that um, as a way to recognise, you know, the consequences that are going to face the country. And when there is this economic damage on the first of January, they'll just blame it as a result of COVID. Yes, um, that was Brexit in 30 seconds. Thank you so much, <laughs> Noah. Um, um, before we go, we have one last comment from Johnny, Johnny Jenkins. Sorry, guys. It's fine. We forgive you for taking that. technology, but I, I think I think, today we've, um, I think we've leveled it up today, Johnny. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe next time on the Johnny Jenkins show, I'll end it early. Let, let's see how he likes <laughs> it. This will go down in inside history. This episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone, anyone's ever, head of, no head of music ever had their show ended by someone else before. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's even about to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the record books in the archives. Yeah. It, it well, is the faults of not being in the studio. I don't know. If, yeah. if, if, this, if this gets the viewership up through just the calamity, stay out of the studio, <laughs> Enoch. True. Yeah, this is what we need. <laughs> constant disaster. Um, well, to all, the, um, two, to all the two people still watching the show, um, if, you love, do, if, you love, if you like what you're seeing, join the Raw News group and come along to Insight. Come on to the new shows. It's a great time. Also, join Raw in general and take part in all, you know, all the great stuff we'll ask to offer. I mean, it's Black History Month week here at Raw, so we're going to be doing a series of specials on American Black History. Um, in, uh, we're doing actually a special news report on Black activism on campus, which should be released this Thursday, so please keep right up with that. But I want to say thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you to Cam, Noah, and Johnny, even Johnny, for coming on the show today. It's been <laughs> wonderful to have you all. Have a good week. Thanks for watching. <laughs> yeah, dig, girl. <laughs> <laughs>
your student radio station on 1251 AM. This is your role. 